Hello, and welcome to the Millennial Economics Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping young people be successful with money. Join us as we discuss personal finance, financial literacy, investing, the psychology behind being financially fit, and much more. Here's your host, Jerry Dixon. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to episode 98 of the Millennial Economics Podcast. Uh, super excited to to dig in. I've I've been so busy with things <laughs> ancillary, we'll say, uh, to the podcast that we've been kind of skipping weekends. So uh, I apologize, but thank you all for sticking with me and for tuning in to another episode. Um, really, really, really exciting news to announce. The book that I have been working on for, man, it's probably six to seven months now, um, through outlining and brainstorming and then actually writing and editing and rereading and editing again. Uh, writing a book is a lot of work. Um, I love it. It's a, it's a passion of mine, but boy, is it a lot of work. But anyways, the book that I've been working on for some months now um, is finally going to be released very soon. So I have a few details. I'm going to be announcing more details as we kind of continue on um, over, the next, over the next few weeks. But um, the book will be released the week of July 2nd, most likely July 2nd or 3rd. And the title of the book is 52 Money Lessons from a 30-something. Okay, and the idea behind it is I'm going to release one of these books every 10 years, right? So I'm 31 years old now. Um, I'm going to release another one of these called However Many Money Lessons from a 40-something when I turn 40 or 41, and so on and so forth. And I hope that this is a project that I can kind of dig into and, and release new books on um, for the rest of my life. It would be really, really cool um, to kind of look back and see, all right, what was, I, what was I thinking? What was I learning at age 30? What was I thinking? What was I learning at age 40, 50, 60, so on and so forth? So it's been a really, really cool project to dig into. So just to give you some details of this book, uh, it's, it's been quite a journey. We'll say I, I started off in my early 20s, um, even late teens, when I first got my real, my real first big boy job. Um, I didn't know much about money, didn't know much about investing, didn't know much about uh, how to set yourself up for success financially in the future, I guess you could say. And so I made a lot of bad decisions <laughs> in my early 20s. I got married really young too, which was not a bad decision, um, but you know, it led to more responsibility of which I made when I had that, that more responsibility. I didn't make great financial choices. Um, got into debt, wasn't investing, um, was just kind of meandering, kind of lost, frustrated, and started educating myself really early on, um, a little bit after I had my first child, or we, my wife and I had our first child. And through that process, I became passionate about personal finance and <clears throat> I guess really the benefits that it can provide you, right? It's not necessarily getting your finances in order for the sake of having more in your bank account that I'm really interested in, but what that money in your bank account or what that, that being financially fit, quote unquote, can provide you in terms of peace and freedom um, and enjoyment of your life, right? It's very stressful when you're living paycheck to paycheck and, and you're having to worry about moving this money here and this money there and not, not really having a game plan for the future. Um, that's a really stressful place to be. And quite the opposite is true whenever you've taken control of things, right? Whenever you have a plan for the future, whenever you're not living paycheck to paycheck, whenever um, there's just a little bit more breathing room, it allows you to live a little bit more freely. 
right? So that's really the the premise of the book is like giving you 52 money lessons I've learned from my late teens until now about how to become financially fit. And it's not just like Excel spreadsheet, deep math, you know, compound interest type of stuff. There, I do get into that a little bit in the book, um, but a lot of it is just like holistic principles that I've learned. Some things that might be super um, at face value applicable to money and some things that might not be. And there's 52 of them. Um, so again, the book is going to be released the week of July 2nd, most likely July 2nd or 3rd. Um, the title of the book is 52 Money Lessons from a 30-something. And just a quick plug too, if you are interested in seeing um, the release of the book cover, which is going to be done here today or tomorrow, if you're listening on Saturday, July, I think it's 9th, um, there, I'm going to release the book cover too. So I'm going to be releasing some things in stages. So if you're interested in that, I would highly recommend you search for Millennial Economics on Instagram or Facebook. Right, that's a great avenue. If you're interested in even more kind of behind the scenes details, if you're looking for information a little bit earlier than everybody else will get it, subscribe to the newsletter. Go to www.millennialecon.com. Right there in the top header, you'll be able to subscribe to the newsletter with just your email address. And that's going to be the main way that I'm communicating um, all of the details of, of this book launch. So I'm really proud of it. I worked a long time on it. Um, it's, a, it's a really great book, at least from initial feedback. Uh, it's, it's the, I guess you could say the biggest and maybe most proud project that I've ever done um, in my life, possibly. So um, yes. All right. Well, let's get into the first segment of today. This Week in Finance where we cover the hottest stories in finance this week. Stay tuned for the goings-on of the communities and the economies. This Week in Finance. All right, so the first segment um, for this week in finance, we're going to talk about another article that The Hill published not too long ago, actually. It might even have been this morning. Um, so the title of the, the article is Generation Z Wants to Retire Early but Isn't Saving Enough to Do It. And I'm just going to read the first couple paragraphs. So more than half of America's youngest adults, Generation Z, considered themselves aligned with the FIRE, early retirement movement. Yet many of that generation have no money saved for retirement. 53% of Zoomers say they are part of the financial investment retire early or FIRE movement, which advocates intense savings and investment toward a goal of retiring decades early. The statistic comes from a new survey by Credit Karma, the personal finance company. So I just thought this was intriguing. I, um, I admire some things about the FIRE movement. I, I don't admire certain things about it, but um, it just got me really thinking that, you know, this younger generation, maybe a generation younger than mine, um, they like the idea of financial stability. I think that social media has shown them what being financially fit can look like and the benefits that it can truly have. Um, when we think about the FIRE movement or investing as a whole, um, being debt-free, like those things, you know, are kind of, they're plastered in front of you all over the place. But even though they desire those things, they're not setting themselves up in a position to experience those things, right? Even though they desire those things, they're not setting themselves up to experience those things. And I think there's a few reasons why, and I just wanted to talk about that a little bit here today. So the first reason why is because, in my opinion, my estimation, 
being financially fit and choosing good financial habits is really hard, especially when you're not experienced in, in delayed gratification, right? Especially when you're, not, when you're not experienced in sacrificing for the now to experience for the later. And I'll say this, and even in my own life, but particularly younger folks, uh, myself included, right? My generation, millennials, my generation included, um, we like experiencing things now. Myself included, right? Um, we are are we are very quick to um, spend on travel and vacations while we're not investing in a brokerage account or for our retirement. You know, we very quickly will get a car loan, right? Um, and, and while we don't have the money to to pay for it in cash, we're we're very quick to rack up money on a credit card to go out with our friends on the weekend or uh, buy that 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 piece of clothing or the shoes or whatever when we don't have the money in hand for it, right? We're very quick to live in the now, but not live and plan for the future, right? And if you've turned it, tuned into this podcast before, you know I'm a big believer in balance, right? So I'm not saying that everything we do should be for 30 years down the road. I'm saying part of what we do should be for 30 years down the road, right? And it really depends on your financial situation, if you've done, if you've built a good foundation, if you budget, if you invest, if you live below your means, then you can indulge in some of the things in the now. That's very good, actually. I highly recommend it. If you haven't done any of those things, you're living paycheck to paycheck, you, you know, spend more than you actually make, and you're, you're finding yourself in tough spots, well, it, it might be time to make some tough decisions for the next few years. Um, it might not be a fun few years in terms of, you know, experiencing things that cost a lot of money. But being financially fit pays off. It's, it's again, the joy, the peace um, that, that that brings you is, is a big deal, right? So number one, I think that we're not experienced enough in delayed gratification. Number two reason, I think, is because things cost so dang much. <laughs> I mean, it is insane how much housing costs and transportation costs and food costs and health care costs, um, it is seems to add up very quickly. It's funny, when I first um, was kind of on my own when I was 19 years old and I moved out and I, I rented my own place, I found a little studio apartment and granted, yes, it wasn't in the best part of town, I will, I will definitely admit, um, but it wasn't, in, it wasn't in a terrible part of town either. Um, I rented a studio and I believe I paid 400, maybe $450 a month. And some of that, some of the uh, utilities were included in that as well. And now I talk to folks that are looking to move out and whether they want to find a studio or a one-bedroom apartment, I mean, it is, it is double, triple that amount of money over the course of 10 years, right? 11, 12 years, it's doubled. So um, cost of housing is, is expensive. Um, cost of transportation vehicles these days are absurdly expensive uh, for no reason, you know, I, I've looked at um, just online, just in passing or hearing friends selling their cars, you know, a 10-year-old Toyota Camry with 200,000 miles is like $8,000, <laughs> right? Like, it's insane how much vehicles are costing these days. Um, for me personally, I have, I have two kids and a dog, and it's like whenever I go to the grocery store every weekend, I mean, the amount of money that you spend on food these days, not even extravagant food, <laughs> Just like bare bones type of stuff is absurd, right? So I think we live in this world where things are, are taking up a lot more of our paychecks than they used to be. And it's, it's 
for it's becoming even more important these days to make sure that you have a financial plan. You can't just float because if you're floating these days, you're going to lose because things cost so much money. Right? I remember when I was in high school, if you made $100,000 a year, it it was it was you're living large. Right? 100 six figure income. Nowadays, that's not the same. <laughs> That is not the same. A six-figure income, while healthy, while good, I don't want to diminish that, it just does not go as far as it used to. People are not living large if they're making $100,000 a year. It's insane, right? Especially depending on where you live in the country. So those two things I just thought were intriguing, right? Um, Young people, they desire truly the benefits of financial freedom, right? They desire to retire early, but they are not executing the plan to do so. Part of it on them, part of it's the economy, but here's the deal. We live when we live, where we live, right? We have to adapt. If you're in a high cost of living area, that's where you live, right? Maybe you move, but if you want to stay there, you're going to have to, if you want to be financially fit, um, do some different things than people that might live in a low cost of living area. Um, So yeah, it was just very intriguing. And I guess my encouragement to you through this is don't just float. Don't just desire the things that uh, the people who have dedicated a lot of time and energy into getting to, um, don't just desire those things, but don't take action, right? Um, yes, there are some chips that are stacked against us, but there's a lot of things that are going for us as young people as well, and I would recommend you take advantage of those things. Okay, so let's just roll right into the next segment. And the next segment is kind of the meat of the podcast, um, the topic of this episode, and I just wanted to talk about minimalism. And I think that that article that The Hill posted or wrote um, really got me thinking, like, how can, how can you live minimally? What does that even mean? And what are four areas of your life where you can really plug in the minimalism, uh, maybe ideology, and see a lot of gains from it, right? Benefit a lot from it. So to me, minimalism isn't sacrificing everything. It's not having an empty apartment or home. Um, It's being very intentional with what you spend your money on and making sure that you don't have a lot of fluff that's going to consume your money or your time, right? Because at the end of the day, the more things that we have, the more time and money it takes to keep them up, right? To maintain them. And even if you think, well, you know, I don't, having a bunch of furniture and a bunch of knickknacks and whatever, it doesn't take a lot of my time. Well, it does. You have to clean it. You have to make sure it's organized. You have to maintain it. And there's a certain mental energy or mental headspace that you get in when there's just a lot around you. There's a lot more freedom when there isn't as much around you, right? So to me, minimalism, again, isn't lack of everything. It isn't like eating rice and beans or ramen every day and having, you know, a used um, nasty ratty old couch and a mattress on the floor and that's it in your apartment. Um, It's not that necessarily, right? It's just being very intentional. So instead of having all of the knickknacks, well, what little things in your home are going to serve you best? What do you care about? You know, instead of having um, a couch in every room and a TV in every room, it's like, okay, well, maybe I can buy one good couch that's going to last me a long time, that's built really well, um, a TV set up in one room instead of in every room, right? <clears throat> For a long time, we had um, two PlayStations in our home. We unplugged one of them because it's like, why? 
you know? You know, maybe you guys can, maybe your family or your situation, you can get by with one vehicle instead of two. Maybe you live in proximity to work in a grocery store where you can bike or walk. Unfortunately, in my city, that's very hard or else I would, right? But it's just thinking that way. How can I get rid of things that don't serve me, right? Even down to like, how much junk do you have in your basement or your garage or your storage unit? Because you might not think that that weighs on you, but it does. It's just like there's things that you're responsible for, right? So that's what minimum, minim, minimalism, whew, that's what minimalism means to me. It's, it's intentional. It's being intentional with the things that you're, you're involving yourself in and that you're purchasing. So what are the four categories where I think if you um, practiced minimalism in the sense that I described that it would benefit you the most? So number one is housing. A lot of people myself included, um, are drawn to more bigger, more extravagant housing than they even need, right? And housing is expensive. We just talked about that. So if you are drawn to the big house on the corner lot with, you know, four extra bedrooms that you don't even know what you're going to do with and, you know, just all the things that look really pretty but don't have a lot of practical meaning to you, that's going to weigh on you mentally and financially. You have to clean this. You have to, you know, make sure that you're holding this job so that you can pay for this. And, you know, well, you need to fill these rooms with things because who wants an empty room? And then your property taxes are more and your utilities are more and your mortgage is more and all the things, right? It just adds a lot. And I'm, I am the first to say that I struggle with this because I like homes that are large and beautiful and like it means a lot to me but you know do credit to my my wife Lily um, we have stayed in the house that we're in not because we can't afford something more but because this is sufficient for us now do we have the biggest yard in the world no um, do could we use an extra room yes uh, could we use an extra bathroom sure you know, could we, could we use a second level? Sure. Could I, would I love a finished basement? Absolutely. Could I technically afford these things? Yes. But we've decided to stay here because this is sufficient and it gives us mental freedom to like navigate life without being stressed about all the things that come with more space. Right? I talk to young people a lot too and, you know, their first place are saying, well, I have to have two bedrooms. It's like, well, no, you don't. <laughs> you want two bedrooms and that's, fine if that really matters to you. But like I, when I moved out, I lived in a studio. Why won't a one bedroom suffice? Right? You have to have 1500 square feet. Well, why not a thousand square feet? And the thing about small spaces too, that's kind of cool is, you know, you can, you can be very intentional and invest in really good quality things to fill that small space. Right? So instead of having two bedrooms and needing to fill one with all your bedroom stuff and the second one with whatever you're going to put in there, and then you have a really big living room and a big kitchen, like you have to buy all these cheap, maybe Ikea things, nothing against Ikea. We have Ikea furniture. But it's like, what if you had a really small space and you could say, hey, instead of needing to buy you know, two beds, I buy one that's really, really good quality that's going to last me. Instead of having to buy two couches, one for the den and one for the living room, what if I could just had to buy one that's going to be really good quality that I really love that's going to last me? And it's funny because making those, those choices on quality goods actually saves you money in the long run. Because when you buy a nice couch, it lasts you for many more years than the cheap one does that you're going to have to replace three times. Right, So the first category um, that minimalism is definitely applicable for is housing. The second is transportation. So cars cost a lot of money. 
um, whether you're whether you're doing it with a car payment or whether you're buying them in cash, they still cost money. There's property taxes, there's gas, there's maintenance, right? So um, I have a friend that decided, even though he can absolutely afford two vehicles, like two nice vehicles, this is a this is an individual that earns a good amount of money. He decided to only have one car for their family because they can. Their work situation allows it. Um, their 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 location of where they live allows it, and that's awesome. I envy that. I wish that I could do that. Unfortunately, we just don't live in a situation where that would work, but um, I, I admire that. He chose to sacrifice in the now to be able to do whatever the heck he wants in the future, right? That's amazing. So your transportation, you don't need a big fancy SUV um, all the time, especially if you're single. Um, you don't need the newest vehicle. You don't need a luxury vehicle. You don't need these things. So take, you don't need two, three, five vehicles for your household, right? And again, I'm not talking in generalities. Uh, everybody's situation is unique. So take, take uh, notice, look at your situation and say, hey, do I need all of the vehicles or as much vehicle or whatever in my situation now? Right? If you practice a little bit of minimalism in this part of your life, um, it will free up mental space and it will free up financial space, a lot of it. Okay, the third is food. Right, So where you shop for groceries, the things that you shop for, um, usually we can do with different or quote-unquote less. Right, So instead of going to the luxury grocery store, the Whole Foods or whatever for everything, um, maybe you're going to Aldi for some things, right? Or maybe you are shopping for your bulk materials at like a Costco, right? Or maybe you're not going with making the the greatest, most in uh, involved recipes for your family every night. Maybe it's just more simple recipes some days of the week, right? And one thing I can say just personally, if you have a family and you're not going to multiple grocery stores or grocery options for your food, you're missing out because... Typically, like Costco does really well with bulk items and Aldi to me does really well with like snacks and dry goods. And, you know, sometimes I have to go to, to Sprouts, we'll say, for their produce. And, you know, sometimes I indulge and I want something a little bit more expensive. I go to Whole Foods. But like I don't do all my shopping at Whole Foods because that would be incredibly expensive. Right. So take inventory of where, you know, you can make simple, healthy meals that last multiple meals right? Or you can, you can buy the generics. I'm all for good food options. I'm all for organic and eating clean. I think it's amazing. Uh, but let's just see how we can do that in like a streamlined, minimal way, right? So the third category is food. The fourth category, and this is a big one, is entertainment. I'm passionate about this. We become addicted to filling our time with entertainment options, it seems as though today we always have to be going, going, doing, doing, hanging out with friends, going out to eat, taking the Instagram photo, going on a trip. It's like exhausting to me as an introvert because I remember growing up like that wasn't the case. It is no longer that going out to eat or get drinks with the friends is a treat. It's an expectation. And we spend as a society, especially as young people, an absurd amount of money filling our time with things that we think we have to have, but we don't when it comes to entertainment. I'm all for community. I'm all for getting together. But it doesn't have to be every moment of our free time. It can also be done in much cheaper ways, right? Like let's invite people to our homes. Let's 
indulge in free options, right? Um, I just think that there's a lot of of uh, there's a lot of gain to be had by like reducing some of these social interactions, um, or maybe changing them, right? I don't want to say reduce because I think social interaction is important, especially for, so, sometimes more for some people than others. Um, but I think there can, it can be done in a different way, right? So there's my spiel on minimalism. There's the four areas where I think, you know, things could change a little bit and you could, you could inject a little bit of minimalism into housing, transportation, food, and entertainment. So let's take a quick break and hear from one of our uh, partners. Hello, of course, I have to talk to you about acorns because I love them. They're amazing. I have used acorns for over seven years and it's proven to be an important tool I use to invest. Acorns offers things like recurring investments, pre-built portfolios, roundups, Roth IRAs, checking accounts with perks, custodial accounts for your children. The list goes on and on. Acorns offers a lot, and most importantly, it is easy to use, and that is why I have stuck with them for so many years. Whether you are a beginner or a seasoned investor, Acorns has investment options for you. If Acorns seems like it would be a good fit, like it has been for me, click the link in the show notes and you will receive $5, no strings attached, when you make your first deposit. Back to the show. Okay, and then we will roll right into the next segment. It's time for the weekly tip. 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 All right, so this is going to be a quick one. Um, today's weekly tip, or this episode's weekly tip, is about the benefits of planning and staying organized. Um, and so I wanted, I want to relate it to my book release, right? Um, I've done project release in the past and just kind of went freely about it. I didn't really plan it, right? I just said, hey, I'm done with this project. You polish it up and just throw it out to the world. And while that can be fine and that's good, um, this, this time with this book, I've really planned the release. I've planned the marketing. I've planned what's going to happen. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but I love having like a step-by-step guide. All right, here today, because I plan is what I need to accomplish. And then next weekend, here's what I need to accomplish. And then here's what I, right? Like having that order of operations, having that list of things to complete um, is, is tremendously valuable, right? You spend some time on the front end to streamline like three months of work on the back end. And sometimes that time is only an hour or two, right? So um, I've, I've learned a lot through planning with this book release. Um, I feel the same when I'm writing a book. Some people, it works great for them to just sit down at a computer and just start typing and the thoughts just come and it's organized and it makes sense. For me, when I write a book, I have to spend time like planning the outline what was my thoughts behind the book? What do I hope to accomplish? Okay, here's what chapter one, two, three is going to be. And then I want to segue into this. And that way, when I sit down to write, I go, okay, my first thing is I need to do this. And then when I'm done with that, I need to write about this, right? It helps me. And I think it would help a lot of people. And I feel like that's a great lesson to apply to our finances, right? If you spend a little bit of time on the front end planning what you want to do, or maybe what you want to accomplish this year, this quarter, this month, uh, maybe for the next five years, and you set your, you set number one, two, and three of how to accomplish that, you know exactly as time goes on what you need to be hitting, like short-term goals, not just saying, I want to have a million dollars by the time I'm 40, whatever, 
well, that's a big goal. That's a cool goal. But like, how do you get there? Rather, you could say, all right, by the time I'm 31, I need to be here. I need to have accomplished this. And then when I'm 35, I need to be here. And then 38, I need to, right? And so you can, you can look at little pieces instead of the big piece. And when you're looking at those little things, it's a whole lot easier to digest and accomplish them, right? When I think about a book, hey, I want to write a book. Okay, cool. But what if I said, I just need to write this chapter? Well, I can do that. I can write the chapter, right? Or, hey, I want, I want this book to be successful, when I release it. Okay, cool. What does that mean? Or I could say, hey, I want to do these releases on these days. So this week, I just need to push this piece of content out. I can do that. Right? So staying organized is a big deal to me. And I think to more people, it's probably a big deal um, than we really give credit or credence to. So if you're finding yourself wandering with your finances or with really anything in life, take a second, plan, make a to-do list, Set exact times on when you want specific things to be accomplished, and I think that you'll, you'll find yourself accomplishing more goals. So thank you so much for spending some time here. Just as an outro, um, again, the book, 52 Money Lessons from a 30-something, will be released early the week of July 2nd. I'm really excited about it. Um, I would encourage you to go subscribe to the Millennial Economics Newsletter to get more details on that and just to be kind of in touch with what's, ha- with what's happening Excuse me, here at Millennial Economics. It's the best way. If you go to the website, www.millennialecon.com, You'll see right there at the top of the page where you can subscribe to that newsletter. And then lastly, if you enjoy this podcast, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, I guess it's called, uh, wherever you listen, um, if you leave a review, if you follow the podcast or subscribe, um, not only will you get pinged when I submit a new episode, um, which hasn't been very consistent lately, I apologize, um, but you'll also help get this podcast out to new people, to new listeners. So thank you so much for tuning in, and we will talk very soon.